We are live. Welcome to episode 18 of the Home Lab Show. This is Tom Lawrence and Jay LaCroix. Yes, and we're going to have a simpler episode, kind of. It's Clonezilla. It sounds simple enough. Yeah. There's some nuance sounds to it. But I think this is a tool that has been around forever. And when you see the website, yep. you'll scratch your head and go, well, that looks like the old days of the internet. I keep thinking every time I look up Clonezilla, I was trying to actually, the first silly challenge was trying to find um, a logo that looks nice. I don't like their logo. I'm sorry, Clonezilla. If people from Clonezilla are listening, it's not, yeah. I guess it's a logo. It's a shape that I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really sure what that is either. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Godzilla. So I, I figure if they're going to have Zilla in the name, um, they should do something really cool with it. But um, the yeah. software is cool at least. At least the software is good. That's the one thing we will forgive all things we said about not having a modern fancy website, but they definitely get the job done. They're a popular tool that we've talked about before and want to introduce a lot of people to it because as a home lab and you want to migrate servers from one hypervisor to another is one of the use cases we'll be talking about here. It is a great tool and we I've been using it for years. Uh, back when that website was modern is probably when I started using it. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was actually the first tool I think I've ever used. Well, I used um, Norton Ghost for a short period of time, but I don't really count it because it was short. Um, as soon as the place that I was working for discovered Clonezilla, it's like Norton Ghost 2. And yeah, it, it just it gets the job done. Before we dive into those details, we do need to thank a sponsor show, and that is Linode. Uh, we both have been longtime Linode users. Jay runs the yep. quite a few things in Linode. You've done a lot of demo videos oh, on it. My God, I, I have so many things. I have two accounts. I have a demo account. I have my main Learn Linux TV account. I have you know this particular the, the website for this podcast yep. is hosted there my website is hosted there my youtube channel's website is hosted there the forums the wiki i could go on um i'm yeah. all in on it it works so, great yes our sponsor has uh graciously offered, you know, not only to sponsor the show, but offered all of our audience uh, some free credits and things like that to get started with Linode. There's an offer code down in the links, but it's, yeah, we really recommend it. And if you're not sure what to do with those, uh, check out my channel or Jay's channel for a few different ideas of things you can run in the cloud, like your own VPN server, because why rely yeah. on someone else's? You just build your own, you know, cloud VPN server. Uh, but we have a few more ideas that we'll, we'll be covering on the Home Lab show for some things. I have some bridging yeah. ideas for people who are stuck behind carrier grade net and things like that. So, Either way, oh, yeah. get your get signed up for Linode so you're prepared when we do those videos. And uh, thanks again for Linode for sponsoring the show. Yep. Now, let's dive into cloning. So if you didn't yep. guess by the name, if you've never heard the word Clonezilla, you can probably guess that it's a cloning software. <laughs> it absolutely is. And um, it's not the thing is, that's what it, that, that is what it is. But there's so many other things that it can do that I'm going to talk about that um, I'm thinking at least some part of our audience hasn't thought about yet because I've used Clonezilla for some other use cases too that are cloning related, but are, are kind of a clever spin on that. And I say clever, but I mean, these are bullet points, things that you can do in Clonezilla. They're not hidden features or anything like that. Just things that people don't immediately think about when they run it. And first of all, let's talk about the need for cloning real quick. I think most people know why they might wanna do this, so I won't spend too much time on it. Um, having a base image is usually a good idea. Um, you know, obviously we're probably going to automate things with Ansible or whatever our chosen thing is, but it's really cool to have a few things baked into an image because that way there's a couple of things already there that you don't have to do after you restore it, which is always good. 
you create that image after you set it up the way you like it. Just take the image, you restore the image, and you could deploy that image. And um, and Tom, I think you used Clonezilla for PenguinCon, in the, or at least in the past, right? Yeah, and that's one of the really good use cases is we had to create um, a bunch of laptops with all the same image because we were helping out with a Python class. They wanted to teach Python. And one of the easy ways to do this, and this is a cool feature, is it supports multicasting. So instead of doing a one-to-one -one image, you can build a multicast server where you basically take one computer, get it perfectly set up how you want, and then you take all the Clonezilla clients and kick off a simultaneous multicast. And when multicasting is interesting because this is what allows you to have like a one-to-many relationship. So it's not stopping and verifying each bit from system A to system B, you set up system A, the original system, and you say, blanket this message out on this same local subnet using the multicast, and all of them at the same time can grab that image and all simultaneously clone. Uh, these are some of the really cool ways to uh, make this work. Now, I will admit, it is probably not the best tool. We should probably make sure this is the beginning. Uh, it is not the best Microsoft cloning tool. Um, it can work. But there's probably Microsoft, especially if you're talking like when we talk uh, P2B, physical to virtual, when you want to do a conversion of an existing machine, Microsoft actually has some of their own tools for doing that for P2B conversion. If you look at my channel, like you know, P2B Microsoft, you'll find I've covered that tool before. Um, so that way we don't segue too much into that. Um, there's also some dedicated tools like Acronis is popular specifically for setting up uh, things like Microsoft cloning. Yeah, I agree. And I'm going to talk a little bit a little bit about what's required to make Clonezilla work in that way. I agree. There's a, there's definitely better tools there. Um, so, okay, so we know what clones, you know, what use case Clonezilla serves here. So, what exactly is it? Now, when we think of a Linux distribution, we generally think of like Debian, Ubuntu, and and so on. Um, you know, we we could install it on our laptop, on our server. We can have a graphical user interface if we want to. But there's specialty distros that serve a specific purpose, and Clonezilla is one of those. When you you know boot it from a ISO image, you could write that. I mean, you write that image to a flash drive, preferably because let's be honest, that's faster than DVDs. Does anyone still use DVDs anymore? I hope um, not. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, I don't. I never really like CDRs and DVDRs. But you you create a bootable flash drive uh, that is Clonezilla. The software is on there. You boot your server, your laptop, whatever it is from that. And it's live. It's called Clonezilla Live when you download it because that's what it is. There is a server component, which I'll get to. But for right now, we're just going to talk about the live component. Now, when you boot from that, it basically just asks you a series of questions. What do you want to do? Do you want to take an image? Do you want to restore an image? You make that selection. And I'll get to some of those features in, in a moment. But basically, it's just menu-driven, and you navigate it. There's a beginner mode. There's an advanced mode. Um, there's a reason why you might want to consider advanced mode that I'll get to. But um, at the very beginning of the menu, most people will just let it time out. I think it stop, starts at like 10 seconds. It counts down, and it starts, and then it starts asking you questions. But if you look at that menu before you do that, you'll, you'll notice there's a – I forgot what it's called or how they uh, worded it – that essentially allows you to cache the entire flash drive in RAM. And yes. that means you can remove the flash drive after it finishes booting and put it in another computer. You could you could you know launch that computer, boot it, and choose that same option, load to RAM. And from one flash drive, you could have a bunch of computers that are running Clonezilla in that instance, which is the way that I always do it because 
I don't know why. I guess it just became habit. I always use that option. And so it's, it's cached in RAM and you use it that way. And then at that point, um, you have to decide what you want to do. Do you want to take an image, restore an image? But we need to back up a little bit. Where do you put your images? Um, and there's many different options here because when you take an image, it's a clone of the hard drive, obviously. So you can insert another flash drive if you want to and store your image there, an external hard disk. I, I've seen many people do that. You could actually mount a Samba or NFS share on your network, which is going to be very common in the enterprise. And I think a lot of home lab people do that as well. They might have a file share with a bunch of images on it. I do. I actually have one of my TrueNAS. So then you just tell Clonezilla, I want to take an image. And then you tell it where your network store, you know, store is if you do want to use a network store. And it mounts that store. And then it just, um, when you create the image, that's where it ends up. And then you could reverse the process by booting or just going back to the menu and just choosing the restore option and restore an image that way. So that's the most basic level of, of uh, feature set there. But um, we'll definitely cover some additional things too that go way beyond that. That was oversimplified, but that's generally what it's for. Yeah, and one of the reasons you use Clonezilla is right away people mentioning some of the more in-depth programs for managing images and stuff like that in enterprise environments. This is for simplicity. And like Jay said, it's a quick download it to a single drive, good drive to have in your uh, tool set. And you have this USB drive, you're going to boot off it, you're going to be able to clone something really fast. And it doesn't have the complexities of setting up a dedicated server for it. Now, if you're going to do something repetitively, and your job is to image computers every day, yeah, learn one of the more enterprise level systems or go through the complexity of setting it up. But a lot of times what you run into is you're like, oh, got another laptop here. I need to just get the data from here onto the drive over on this other machine and pop out your clone. So as a matter of fact, one USB boot drive, load into RAM, eject drive, plug into second machine, plug network cable in them, kick off transfer between them. And now without even turning a screwdriver, you have now successfully started the cloning process from one computer to another. And this works really well in the Linux world. Yep. Um, so a couple of tips before we go any further. The first tip is recreate your Clonezilla media every year minimum, preferably every six months. Every year is okay too. There's many reasons why you might want to do that because they don't just release new versions just because they think it's fun. They release new versions that have new features, obviously, but yep. more importantly, they up the kernel version and driver versions in every release. So if you just buy a, I don't know, you buy a laptop right now and you want to you know, restore your image onto that laptop, it's a brand new computer, but your Clonezilla flash drive was created three years ago, guess what? It's probably not going to detect the network card at all, and your capabilities are going to be very limited. Um, one of the things that Clonezilla will do if it detects that there's Grub in the image, it's going to reinstall Grub for you. But if it's really, really out of date, then you're going to have an out of date Grub install in the master boot record. Some really interesting things will happen there. I would say as long as you up or you know you recreate your clonezilla media every year with the wow. latest version you shouldn't really run into a problem if you're like me and you're insane and you actually image arch linux machines and i do you probably want to um recreate that media every six months to make sure you're on the latest version um so i know quite a few people get a kick out of it you you image art are you in are you mad yeah i am um <laughs> <laughs> So that's the first tip. The, the second tip I'll tell you guys is if you are going to be imaging or creating an image of a Linux server or install, which I'm sure most of you will be, absolutely install Cloudinit on that machine before you image it. I'm not saying you have to 
understand or learn cloud in it. I do have a video on that if you guys want to. But honestly, I'll, all I'm saying is just install the package. I'm not saying you have to understand it, just install it because the default for cloud in it is it's going to reset the SSH host keys. That's important because if you don't do that and you just roll that image out to every single server, every single server is going to have that host key um, or actually the same host keys. And you'll get that message that something's wrong here. The I forgot how it's worded. I'm sure you've seen it, Tom, where it's yeah. like the known host file um, detects that the key's the same, but the server's not and just throws a fit, rightfully so. Um, that definitely have cloud in it installed. It could still come up with that message the first time, but um, cloud in it is smart enough to regen that after the first boot. So you should be fine. So just have that installed. If you plan on rolling this image out to a bunch of virtual machines, might be a good idea to have your virtual machine tools installed in the image as well. So that's one less thing that you have to do. And also the um, you know virtual machine you're creating will already have those tools installed. So those are a few quality of life tips that I'm going to give you guys for starting out with it that I think just, you know, makes sense. Yeah. And a use case, you know, oh, prior to 2020, I should say, a use case that was really popular for us is we, we've helped out uh, local conferences and we've mentioned PenguinCon a couple times in this show, which is a local tech conference. And uh, we've always helped out in, in the aspect of getting their labs ready. And they're one-time events. They're not really worth p building a specific deployment server for because it's like, look, we need a bunch of these laptops with this image on it real quick so we can teach this class. We're going to have, at, you know, on Friday at two o'clock, we have a, a Python class someone's teaching and when we're, then they're done with the class type thing. Um, that's where we've actually found a lot of, uh, you know, those one-off jobs like this, not just the yep. base cloning, but some of those really kind of advanced, but still not worth setting up a whole imaging server for. Uh, the other nice thing about it, like we mentioned before, is you can do all these different mounts of NFS or even SMB. This actually, if you have some piece of hardware where you know you can't hype, you can't put it in a hypervisor, it can't be virtualized, it has to run natively on here, and you're looking for, you know what, before I mess with this thing, I want to just make a clone of it. Um, it works really well for, you know, having your SMB share and saying pop in Clonezilla and back it up to an image. And then you can create a series yep. of easy image backups. And the nice thing when you're doing this, you're doing it at a level above the operating system because you're booting it off some type of live image. So there's never a worry about any files being open or anything that you have a cloned image of this machine that can be restored pretty easily as needed. Yep. And another use case that I'll give you guys that's a, a little humorous, or I'm going to put a humorous spin on this is, you know, I, I'm sure many people listening, you know, you have that Windows laptop that shipped with Windows, but you don't want to run Windows on there. You want to run some Linux distribution, but you're also kind of concerned that if your vendor, like if you send it in for a repair, if something goes wrong, that um, they're going to say, yeah, you're using Linux. You, we, we're not going to help you. Um, absolutely image the hard drive, take an image of the hard drive before you install Linux that has the manufacturer, you know, the, their blessed Windows installation on the hard drive, take an image of that. And then you can install Linux. And if you ever have to send that machine in, just restore that hard drive with that original Windows install. Like what Linux? There was never Linux here. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, that's Usually, if I'm going to run Linux on a machine on a machine that didn't actually come with Linux, I'm, I'm going to take an image of that operating system originally because you, you never know if you might actually need that. Um, also, somebody in the live stream mentioned that you can clone the you know one hard drive directly to another, which is true. 
So earlier I mentioned you could plug in an external hard drive if you want to. You can store all your images on there. You can take like 10 images if you, if you can hold them. But you can actually just, you know, write the image directly to the hard drive itself and then plug that hard drive into a server. And then that hard drive is a clone of the original. So you could basically play around with the source and the destination, whether you're storing images on a storage medium to have a collection of images. You want to just directly write to a hard drive or you want to send it to a Samba share, NFS share, whatever it is, you, you have full flexibility there. Now, one use case I want to talk about a little bit is file recovery. Now, this doesn't always work, but I have had this work a lot of times. And I, I actually, I got to be honest, I don't understand why this works. But back when I was doing PC repair, I would have people bring a computer to me that doesn't boot. And... You know, I diagnosed the hard drive. I think back then I was running like the manufacturer's tools that, you know, how they came with an ISO image for like Seagate and Western Digital. You can do a health check and hard drives failing the health check, but it, it works good enough to where the BIOS can read it. So I would take an image of it with Clonezilla. I would replace the hard drive with a brand new one, restore the image. And what would happen, and these were Windows machines, and Tom, maybe you can explain this. I don't know if you know the answer. Um, once it booted, Windows would run a check disk and it was fine. It booted perfectly fine every single time. My line of thinking is if, if something in the bootloader was in a bad sector, Clonezilla is not going to be able to read that bad sector and repair it. But somehow, uh, for me, I would say three out of five times, it was totally repairing it. And I actually saved a server that um, the admin didn't back up ever, literally ever. <laughs> and it was like critical and they were freaking out and i just record you know i just captured an image with clonezilla restored it to another hard drive replaced it um and they were just amazed now that the key takeaway here for this to work you got to go to advanced mode in advanced mode there's an option that clonezilla will say something like um if if you run into a bad sector keep going like if clonezilla yeah. runs hits a bad sector it's going to keep on it's going to skip it and, and keep taking an image if you don't select that option it will fail in this situation because the hard drive has issues so as soon as clonezilla hits that issue hey i don't know i'm not doing anything here i'm just going to abort if you check that box keep running it'll just skip that sector and keep going and that's key to this idea because um, you know, again, if you don't do that, it won't work. So then you can record that image and then restore it. It still might not work, let's be honest, but if you have no other alternative, um, there's that. Um, if anything forensics related, take an image. Um, well, I don't, there's, I don't want, yeah. There's a lot of actually, so Windows fault tolerance is kind of what's part of an issue here. If you clone mm -hmm. a drive um, and there's a section of the drive that may not have very relevant data, like let's say a collection of crappy old log files of installs, stuff that doesn't really need to be touched, maybe some of the rollback information. We don't really know what part of the drive couldn't be read, but Windows, if it can't read a part, it says, I'm stopping here. Windows is really bad about that, uh, yeah. of saying, no, go beyond. We, we don't need those files for the operating system, not critical. So my hypothesis as to why it works is uh, it, it skipped over those files. So those files are still corrupt. You can't, you know, bring them back from the corrupted dead that they are. They're in the bit bucket in the sky, right. but because they weren't <laughs> critical to the actual function of the operating system. And now they're not flagged as bad, even though they would just be a garbled mess. If you were to try to open those files, windows goes, Oh, whatever they're there. Integrity check says they're there because when you clone it, it doesn't check integrity. It just says, I'm cloning all of this, so to speak. Well, it skipped it. So it doesn't check integrity, but you told it to skip over that part of it. So that's my hypothesis as to why that would work. 
Yeah, no, that's probably it. Um, I mean, nowadays I use Spinrite a lot, but that I mean, if the hard drive is physically bad, that that in and of itself is only going to get you so far. Right. But we have tools, and I think it's important to look at these tools in ways other than what they're marketed for. I mean, Clonezilla is not marketed as a file recovery utility. There's other live ISO images that are marketed for that, like rescue yeah. CDs. I think Rescuezilla is another one. Yep, that's the one I did a video on. That's Clonezilla compatible, by the way. And we have all these tools, but that's a really cool thing to be able to do in Clonezilla to just at least give that a shot, if nothing else. I mean, the worst case scenario, you'll lose an hour of your time or however long it takes to record that image. Another feature that I really like is the ability to create your very own recovery media. Yes. And this is cool because you, you, know, you create a flash drive and set it up with Clonezilla on there. You boot from it. You capture that image of your machine. You store it on a network share. You can then use Clonezilla to take that image and create a bootable image that has the, or excuse me, bootable Clonezilla image that has the hard drive image built in. And if you write that to a flash drive, you literally just plug it into a computer, you boot, and it'll say, are you sure you want to wipe your entire hard drive and restore this image? You press Y and enter, you're done. Literally, that's it. You can re you can have a recovery key for your computer, and it's that simple after you create it. When I used to do PC repair, like I think over 15 years ago, anytime somebody brought me like parts and would tell me to, to build their Windows gaming computer, I would do it. But after I got all the drivers installed and Windows installed, I would create an image of it. I would give them a bootable flash drive with their Windows installed, their license, their drivers, all their stuff on there. So if they ever have a problem, all they have to do is, is you know, insert that flash drive and, uh, you know, restore their hard drive. That's yeah. another thing that Clonezilla can do that a lot of people may not realize. And one of the things that, you know, we've talked earlier in early episodes about tools like Ansible and really automating your deployments, that's great goals to get to. Clonezilla is a good in between. So many of you are, you know, broad spectrum of audience that we have. Some would go, you know what, I'm ready to put Linux on my desktop, but boy, that I watched Jay's video on how he does Ansible poll and builds the system almost automated. I'm not quite there yet. And when you're new to right. Linux, you're more likely to break it more often. So this can also be uh, a good way to build those images. So you have an easy way to restore. So as your experimentation goes and uh, you're playing with Linux and you break something like Jay said, you can quickly create it. Um, now, I think this is worth noting. And I've seen it come up in the chat of what about if it's on different hardware? Uh, Linux is very different than Windows when you swap things on different hardware. So Linux is much more forgiving. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Windows 10 has finally gotten where Linux has been for a long time. When you swap things other than like your network interfaces sometimes happen to be rediscovered. Linux is rather tolerant of swapping hardware. Um, Windows yeah, in the past was not. Windows 10 has become much better other than bugging you for some reactivation. Windows 10 goes, oh, look, different hardware. And uh, it's tolerant. Of course, sysprep is Windows' actual proper methodology to rebuild um, the yeah. HP local hardware and, and re-enumerate everything properly. But even when you don't, Windows actually has become rather much better than it ever was when it comes to that. Right. I, I can actually explain that because I dealt with that a lot. I used to work, uh, um, you know, Windows Help Desk a long time ago, and we used Clonezilla for Windows, um, you know, restores or actually creating a Windows image and deploying it across different um, pieces of hardware. Now, the first problem with Windows, and I don't know if this is why it's better now. Um, I don't really know what Windows 10 has done to make it better. 
But what the issue used to be is AHCI mode for your SATA hard drive, which is the better mode to be in if, if you um, have an option. Nowadays, everything is um, what it should be because there's really no choice. There's, you know, without getting too into detail, you install a hard drive, it works, right? So back before then, you had to choose IDE mode, AHCI mode, RAID mode for the hard drive. And if you restored an image created in IDE mode, to a computer that in the BIOS has a hard drive set to AHCI mode, it's going to blue screen. Same with RAID. So you have to match the settings accordingly. But it still might not work because other things can cause it to blue screen as well. So nowadays, I'm thinking Windows 10, there's really just an option, I'm assuming. Maybe not as many options. So it's working more often because it's just usually going to be the correct option. I mean, when's the last time anyone's gone into the BIOS to make sure their hard drive access mode is the correct one? I don't think I've done that in like <laughs> at least five years or more. Um, so the issue with Windows is you have to sysprep first before you can load it onto another piece of hardware. What sysprep will do, if you check the generalize button, is it's actually going to, well, generalize it. It's going to take the machine-specific stuff out. And when you restore that image, it's going to come up with that Windows um, setting up your device with that um, little dots and all those things on the screen that um, or that new one where it's like, we're getting things ready for you and the screen changes color. Uh, it's going to basically reactivate that. Um, I don't know if SysPrep was further neutered in um, Windows 10, but I know that they in, in Vista, they kind of neutered that a bit, but you can still use it for generalization as far as I know. And that was the key. When I did that, it would work on any piece of hardware. I would just have to manually add the drivers back in there because it's going to purge those. And then at that point, it became a great tool for um, deploying Windows images. Probably not the best, like you mentioned. Acronis is better. And then Microsoft has their own tools. At the time, they wanted me to install a four gigabyte application just for the privilege of creating an image. And I'm like, really? I'll just keep using Clonezilla. And I found a way to make it work. And I did. Um, honestly, if you're in the Microsoft camp and you're learning Microsoft stuff, you should probably do it their way. But Clonezilla does work as long as you sysprep. But one problem with sysprep is you can only do it three times and then they won't let you do it anymore. Then, yeah, because that's why you have to do. Well, you can, but you're just a registry key you have to flip. So, yeah. So what I did back in my Windows help desk days is I set up a virtual box VM with a 20 gigabyte hard drive. And I installed Windows on there. I didn't activate it, didn't put the license in there, just put the company-specific tweaks in it. And I captured the image with Clonezilla. The reason why I chose a 20-gig hard drive is because one of the flaws of Clonezilla is that you can go up but not down, meaning if your image was created on a 500-gigabyte disk on Windows or whatever your OS is, and you have another computer that has a 250-gigabyte disk, yeah, good luck with that. Um, you, you can't go down. You can go up, meaning you can take that image created on a 500 gig drive, restore it on a computer with a one terabyte drive or something like that. That should work. So I created a image or excuse me, a VM with a 20 gig drive. And every computer in the company is going to have at least 40 at that time to give you an idea how long ago this was. So that was fine. It would work. And I wouldn't have to run into that problem. I would just install the drivers when I was done and I was good to go. So I was able to have that one image that would do all the things. But yeah, with Windows, you have these other things that you have to do that with Linux, you just image it. But Linux itself needs the host keys changed. Um, Ubuntu, for example, has the machine ID that you would have to zero out because if the machine ID is the same, it's going to start fighting for the same IP address. 
like all your servers, which is weird because you think the MAC address is what's going to come through, but something to do with the machine ID, long story, just zero that out. So there's some things to do on both sides, but that's kind of the fun of learning this stuff, right? Because you're learning some of these deeper internals of the operating systems that you normally wouldn't even be exposed to. Yeah. Now, a few people asked in fair assessment here, and I think you said you did a review of RescueZilla. And yep. RescueZilla is pretty cool, but it doesn't, yep. it's kind of like a more basic version of Clonezilla. Clonezilla, and the reason, we, you know, and if you go to RescueZilla, they say it works with Clonezilla based on Clonezilla. It's yeah. Clonezilla Lite. If you want any of the real advanced features beyond just right. cloning, uh, that's where you want to go with Clonezilla. So there is a difference between them. But if you are looking for a yep. UI, and I, I think RescueZilla is also a good product, and uh, throw that in your tool toolkit as well. Yep. It's It's got a they prettied up the UI on top of it. So that's where their value add is. And it's free as well. So RescueZilla is also a nice system. Yep. And somebody in the, in the live stream mentioned that, you know, since you have to, you know, since, since this prep is going to purge the licenses for you, um, you know, when you, when you actually create the image there, that's not a problem, in my opinion. I feel that that's still, that that's still a gold image. If all I have to do is spend 30 seconds adding a license to it after install, I could do that. It's certainly a lot better than spending three or four hours building the machine from scratch. And um, another thing, too, is if your license key changes if you, with your volume license agreement or something changes there, I mean, do you really want to redo your entire image just to update the, the license there? I mean, I don't. And that's a rabbit hole that you'll go into or you can go into with cloning and imaging is that... You might just want everything to be done to where you have nothing to do after installing it. But that's a rabbit hole where you'll find yourself recreating that image constantly for every little thing. And then you're, you're doing more work maintaining the image than the image actually saves you when you are rolling it out. So that's why I usually recommend do the minimum amount of stuff and then something like Ansible and Windows group policy or whatever that can take the base install and move it up to where you want it to be. In fact, if you get into Ansible, you can actually do the initial bootstrap in the image. And then when you restore the image, it's going to catch it up to where all the other servers are. So I wouldn't try to put everything in its mother in the image, just the bare essentials that you need to actually um, get yourself in a good state in order to um, be in a good starting point. Now, I do want to at least um, brush on the concept of the Clonezilla Durable or DRBL server yeah. um, that they have. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I kind of I've fallen away from it. Now, cool history lesson. That was one of the first videos I ever did on my YouTube channel was all about Clonezilla because I was already using that at work at the time. So naturally, setting up a Clonezilla server seemed like a no-brainer. I think I've since deleted those videos, actually, because they changed it on me. And then I recreated the videos. They changed it and recreated the videos that changed. Okay, I'm done. I'm just done. Like, I don't know what it is, why things keep changing. It's like I put out a video. It's like worse than Arch Linux. I create Arch Linux tutorials. Just keep that in mind. And the Durable <laughs> server was changing more than Arch Linux is changing. So I'm like, I can't, I can't deal with this. So then I came to the uh, conclusion, my personal opinion, is that the Clonezilla um, Durable server is just not worth it. I mean, maintaining an entire server with Pixie Boot, when a lot of us are already setting up a Pixie server with ISO images anyway. Um, yes, there's opt there, there's additional benefits of Clonezilla server. I'm not saying that it has no reason to exist, but I'm just looking at the maintenance cost to keep it running. Um, is it really that big of a deal to boot from a flash drive and pull from a network share? I don't think so. 
like I said, you could just set up a Pixie boot server that boots Clonezilla, also Ubuntu, also Debian, and boots all your favorite ISO images if you want to. It doesn't have to be Clonezilla specific, but that option does exist if you want to look into that. I'm not going to cover it in today's episode of this podcast because I think it's just a waste of time, in my opinion. No offense to Clonezilla, I think... You know, inserting a flash drive or booting from a Pixie server, a generic Pixie server is more than adequate for, um, you know, imaging a bunch of computers. Yeah. The um, the multicasting one, like I said, that's that's been enough for me. I've never really dug deep into the server side of it. Um, I've, yeah. I've learned from you uh, talking about it that it's less than great. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's actually fine when you set it up. It's just one of those things where what I what I don't think a lot of people realize is that having a server is pretty cool, and especially in home lab, you you, you can end up with like twelve different things, which is great because you learn twelve different things. But then, oh, I have to maintain it. I have to upgrade this one. I have to upgrade that one. Next thing you know, you're doing a lot of work to keep everything updated. So if you're going to deploy something in the home lab. I think that it's going to, in my opinion, have to have a return on investment when it comes to time, meaning it's saving you so much time that maintaining this is okay because the amount of time that it's saving you uh, more than pays for it. With Clonezilla, I mean, honestly, in a home lab, you're probably just going to use a Clonezilla image if you have a problem, your laptop dies, your server's hard drive dies, you restore the image. How often does that happen? If you have to maintain your Clonezilla server every month, but you only have hardware failures every year, where's the return? And you know what I'm saying? So at that point, you could kind of make the conclusion that the the cost in time is negative. But of course, again, there's other benefits. I'll leave that up to the listening audience to decide yeah. if it's worth their time. Um, and they might decide that, yeah, the, the features that this gives me, especially if they're using it in a large enterprise with a large fleet of desktops and laptops. Now that's where you could probably start to see some benefit. But in the home lab, you probably only have four or five computers, so you're you're probably not going to see a benefit. Yeah, and in one of the challenges, like I mentioned in the beginning, the goal of Clonezilla, Clonezilla or even RescueZilla is to have a simpler way to do it without dealing with the nuance. I mean, don't get me wrong. I am not telling you to stop diving into how to set up UEFI and PXE boot. That's a fun learning experience yeah. and uh, understanding yep. how to get the, a properly set up, you know, TFTP to serve the image to uh, get all that configured. It's definitely a neat venture. And if you want to learn that skill, please do. But you also, if you just want to get something done and you don't have time to learn that skill and you're like, yeah, I'm probably not going to do this in my career path. I'm a developer and I just want to be able to re-image a system really quickly in my home lab here, then it may be another solution. And it's one of the things that we cover these tools. We like to talk about who that target audience is and when to think about this. I mean, sometimes the goal of one aspect of your home lab is to take and learn development. Oh, maybe you want a career as a developer. Maybe you want a career as a, you know, DevOps, or maybe you want a career in working in the actual industry where you do the imaging, where you're uh, the maintainer, so to speak of, and my friend actually did this for a bank. He worked and deployed thousands of laptops and he had, you know, product life cycles. They had to manage and image lots of them. Well, that's where he did set up a Windows deployment server to, to create yeah. a universal way to have every banker with every salesperson in the bank had exactly the same laptop with exactly the same software and a manage all licensing. So you got to kind of think about where your career path and if your home lab is maybe just for fun, which it is for a lot of people. And I do a lot of things for fun and a, and a job, or if you just need a cool tool to get something done because it helps you spend more time on the part of the career you want to focus on. 
Exactly right. I, I think that that's key here is uh, the usefulness, is, you know, depends on your use case. And yeah. I think I think as long as you don't go crazy and remaster your clonezilla image every time you change your desktop wallpaper, as long as you're not doing that, I, I think you're it's good. You have a good base um, installation to start with. And I think that's what it gives you. And Clonezilla is just an awesome thing. Um, another thing, I think this is probably one of the last, if not the last things that I'll mention here, we touched on migrating um, you know, a, a machine to a server, for example, to a VM or a VM to VM or server to VM. Now, if you're going from a physical server to a virtual machine, something like Clonezilla is, is pretty cool. Um, it works just fine. Like I mentioned earlier, you'll have to sysprep your server first. I recommend you take a Clonezilla image of your server before you sysprep. I have seen sysprep fail, and even if it fails, that knocks out one of your three sysprep allowances that you get. Uh, Microsoft isn't kind, oh yeah, we understand that it failed, so we're not gonna count that against you. No, you tried it, it failed, you lose one right then and there. So yeah. as long as you, yeah, as long as you image the server before you even attempt to sysprep, that's best. Yes, it's more time consuming, it's the best way to do and it. You can yeah. Google, and I threw, not, I didn't throw the link in here, but at least the I, I threw a link to, it's hkey local machine system slash setup slash status slash sysprep status. That's the key you change after there's uh, three or more. To my knowledge, it still exists um, in the latest iteration of Windows. It was at least in the earlier versions of 10. To my knowledge, the latest iterations of 10, uh, that's still the same location of it. But if you Google it, you can find how to switch the registry key after you've done a couple yep. sysprep's on Windows. Yep, yep, sure can. So after you sysprep, as long as the destination hard drive is the same or larger, you yep. can use Clonezilla for that. And you, you, you could do that. Now, if you're going from a hypervisor to a hypervisor, um, I would recommend to first see if the hard disk itself is a standard virtualization format that's understood by multiple hypervisors. If it's not proprietary to that hypervisor, you might be able to just copy that image after you shut down the server to the destination, import it, and then create a VM with an exi existing disk. You don't even need Clonezilla at that point. So if you, if you have tools that are available, if the hard drive is a standard format between the two or recognized between the two, then Clonezilla is just an unnecessary step. But if right. the target does not recognize the hard drive format or virtual disk format of the source, Clonezilla could be a very good um, utility for making something like this happen. So in that sense, I would recommend that you use Clonezilla if you have to, but just always use the platform tools first if they do what you want them to do before you add another tool. Right. And that's usually the best way to do it. Yeah. And, and an example is going to be like if you're using something like KVM or you have different QEMU drives, there's, there's utilities to make that conversion. But if you're moving from something yeah. like Hyper-V and you want to move over to XCPNG or Proxbox, the conversion is a little bit muddier. But if you just boot off uh, that particular VM, boot a Clonezilla, boot a Clonezilla on your incoming hypervisor as well, tell them to talk to each other via IP. Hopefully they have a 10 gig connection because that makes a big difference. Yep. And then you can then transfer yep. that system uh, from where it is to where you want it to be. And this is an easy yep. way uh, to deal with kind of the hypervisor thing when, you know, the export of the backup tools. I mean, alternatively, you could use, and there are backup tools and just use whatever your backup tool of choice is. But Clonezilla has always been kind of an easy go-to. So I don't even have to deal with like the nuance of it. It's like, start here, source, start here, destination, send. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. Just make sure you remove the hypervisor tools that were used in the ah, source yes. hypervisor 
yeah. before you migrate it because having the VMware tools running on a XCPNG, I don't know what would happen there, but um, it's probably just a good idea to remove them. Yeah, uh, do do uninstall those. That is something I have yeah. uh, I've run into that before, where it just kind of it was it was causing some unusual hangups, and uh, it made it difficult to remove them once we had it on the other server because someone okay maybe me was the someone forgot to remove them ahead of time. <laughs> yep, yep, there you go. All right, I think that wraps it up for Clonezilla. It covers all yeah. the stuff. Obviously, it's easy enough to check out at uh, clonezilla.org. Check out their site that's looked the same. They, they do keep it up to date. It just is the most basic text site with a menu uh, down on the left, like every site used to look in the 90s. I, I actually kind of like it because I go there and I'm like, I didn't have any confusion as to where to find everything. <laughs> yeah, no, it's effective. It, it, it's it's not the most beautiful thing in the world, but it's effective. There's a I lack guess. of graphics on that website, yeah. which is fine. I see that's good. I'm okay with this. Don't change that yeah. part. Not very far removed from GeoCities back in the day. Um, but at least I don't, at least as far as I know, there's no frames. So that's a good thing. Um, that Yeah, there's no pop-ups. There's no pop-ups. So we, we haven't gotten that far, far. back. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gone that far back. And I have videos on my channel about Clonezilla Live, RescueZilla, and a number of others. So if you just search Clonezilla on my channel, watch the most recent video, you should be fine. Yeah, so that's definitely, um, definitely, uh, we, we've got some resources. We'll leave down the links below. And thank you again for Lino for sponsoring us. And thank for all of you for enjoying this uh, and joining us here. 141 people. So if you could hit that like button if you're watching this live. Uh, if not, we'll uh, see you on the next episode. And thanks. Thank you.